So today's Mission Sunday, and I grew up, the churches that I grew up in, for the most part, would have one Sunday a year where they would focus on missions. Now, we focus on missions a lot because we're an outreach-oriented church. In fact, the very name of our church is focused on outreach. Rock City means we're the city built on the rock. We're Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. And I desire to see all of us live up to the namesake of where we live. I believe if God put you in the city, whether you like it or not or hate it and didn't wanna come and wish you weren't here, I still believe that God has a purpose for you here. And if you're apathetic towards the city, the cry, I understand crime's high. My car has been broken into too many times. I've seen too much dysfunction. We have happened to be planted in an area of town where there's a lot of darkness and despair, transients, drug addicts, a lot of abuse and a lot of hurting. But God puts you there for a reason to be a light in a darkness, not run from the darkness. And you gotta get a shift in your paradigm If you don't shift your paradigm, you're always gonna be negative, apathetic, hate where you live. And trust me, you can go live in the prettiest, nicest city that's got all the care and manicured lawns and money and wealth and pretty and die there. Because you get comfortable. And when you get in, as soon as you get comfortable, as soon as the enemy gets you comfortable, you've been captured. God wants an army, not an audience. He's raising up armies for a purpose. And we're gonna talk about that today. And so in the context of missions, what I want you to know is that God has a purpose and a plan for every single person in this room. And when you walk out today, if there's one thing that I want you to catch, if you grasp one thing from my message today, more than a story, more than an inspiration, if you catch one thing, what I want you to know is that God has a purpose and a plan for all of us to accomplish. And it starts right here. The mission field first starts with you and your family and your house. And then it's in your city, and then it's in your nation. I love America. And if God has promised to redeem the nations and that the nations belong to him, what makes a nation great isn't the leader, it's the people. What makes a nation belong to the Lord, which the Revelations is full of God talking about the nations coming to serve him and worship him. What makes a nation great is the people, especially people that love him and belong to him, okay? It's not about necessarily being an American or an African or an Asian. It's not about that. The premise is, is now because I'm in America and because I love Jesus and because I've become righteous and so have you, now suddenly God says, stamp, that's my people, that's my nation. And so God has a purpose and a plan for everybody to do something. And today I'm gonna challenge you to action I'm gonna challenge you to action. I'm gonna challenge you to think different. And I wanna make missions relevant to all of us, not just the missionary off in another country. We are sending 40 missionaries out this summer. For this church to be sending 40 people to Brazil and Mexico is pretty incredible. But this church is always outreach oriented. And our first mission field is starting right here in our own backyard and in our city. Missions is relevant to everybody and everybody should be a part of missions and the purpose and God has commanded it. So in order to understand the the purpose and the commission that God has for everybody, we have to go back to the garden. I call it the garden commission. And today we'll go from the garden commission to the great commission. Let's say that together. Now I'll have you interact with me because one, I like interaction. Number two, I don't wanna put you to sleep. Number three, by you interacting, it gets more into your spirit. So let's say this, say the garden commission, garden commission. 
to the Great Commission. In order to understand missions and in order to understand why we do what we do, you've got to go all the way back to the garden. And there are people that have been Christians for one, two, five, 10 years. You've been calling yourself a Christian a long time. You've gone to church a long time and you're still saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do. Today, I'm gonna sum it up for you in about 30 minutes. And I'm gonna help you get a simple understanding of your purpose and how all of us have a commission from God to accomplish something, not just sit in that chair, come week in and week out. We gotta get rid of the t-shirt. We gotta stop the been there, done that. And we gotta take action with our faith. We can't allow ourselves to just keep becoming fat Christians where we're eating, soaking week in and week out and not putting action to our faith. We have to. And I'm here to help you. I'm not here to beat you up over the head. I'm not here to make you feel bad. What I wanna do is inspire you to do something because we do things a lot better when we're inspired. Can I get an amen? amen. We need inspiration. And inspiration by the Holy Spirit and the wind and the breath of God causes you to be creative, to dream, and to take action in your life. You're not alone. And you got a wonderful family of people here that are in the fight together. Remember, he wants an army, not an audience. So we make the decision to say, I don't wanna just be an audience anymore. Now you come here to get healthy first. The church has to be like a hospital. It has to be a place where the lost, the dying, the addicted, the sick, the perverted, can come in here, experience life, they can live a crooked life, find Jesus, get restored, and now live a straight life the way he intended, not the way man or even I intend, okay? And if you are in here today and you're struggling with any of the things that I talk about in this message or others, like pornography, addiction, fear, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, sleeping pills, uh, uh, any kind of drugs, any kind of addictions, whatever it is, here's what you need to know. You're in the right place and I love you. And I talk about things like pornography and the dysfunction of it because it brings destruction to the world around us when we're called to bring justice to it. But I talk about it to create an environment of safety, to let you know you can come out of shame. I've had to overcome it, I'm not the only one. And there's so many people struggling with all kinds of addictions and hurts and pains, and they've gotta be able to walk in here and say, there's life and I want it. And the best way to get somebody into a new life is to get them out of shame. Shame is the number one thing that keeps people bound in their past or what they're struggling with now. So if I keep affirming you and reminding you that no matter where you're at, I love you. This church is a family. We care about you. You're never called to go it alone. We're not here to just build a big kingdom, self-isolated church. We're here to empower, heal, and transform. But first, you gotta get it for yourself. And everybody's in that unique process. Alex just started coming here. It would be silly for me to pro promote him to a position tomorrow when he's got a lot of growth and personal reflection and life that Jesus wants to rewire inside of him. But he's full of talents and abilities. So at some point, someday, he comes from becoming an observer and a taker to becoming a life giver and a life force to others within this context. He is in his life in, in the natural. He's a life giver. And so many of you are, but God's got all of us in a process. So he raises up mothers and fathers that teach children how to walk, how to eat, how to, how to stop being all about themselves. And at some points they become mature and now they can reproduce and give it back. This is what a family does. And we can reproduce this system with 500, 1,000, 2,000, and 5,000 because Jesus did it. And the only way we're gonna be able to sustain what God's doing and go where God's called us to go is if we become mothers and fathers. 
But in order to become a mother and father, you first have to become a son or a daughter. And until you get the understanding of identity and who you are, sons and daughters, you'll never be able to be elevated to become a mother and a father. The greatest job title in the kingdom is not pastor, apostle, prophet. That's not the greatest job title. The greatest job title is mama. Man, I'm preaching good today. I don't even know what to, I'm like, whoa, you guys should be shouting me down. The greatest job description is father. The greatest job description is servant is laying your lives down and serving from the bottom up instead of it being all about us. But first, you must get it for yourself if you're gonna give it to somebody else. And so you gotta go all the way back to the garden to understand that God gave all of us a job title and a job description. And today, that job title and that job description has never gone away. In fact, Jesus fully restored what was lost in the garden. On the cross, he reversed the curse. And today, I'll show it to you later. Matthew 20, verse one says, the kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner who hired vineyard workers. Last hour vineyard workers. That's the New Testament. Jesus prayed in a garden. He resurrected from a garden. He's coming back to a garden. So you go all the way back to the beginning to Genesis 2.15 and you get your job title. Your job title is gardeners in the vineyard. You're like, you know, he, John 15, one says that Jesus, that the father is the, that Jesus is the vine dresser and the father is the master gardener. He's the master gardener, but we're all still working a tainted, dark, deceived garden from the enemy that's trying to destroy all God created. But the good news is it's not all so bad. There's a lot of hope and promise in life in the midst of this world. And God is raising us up to bring justice back to where the injustice has has seemed to prevail. So let's just take a look at Genesis 2.15. Here's your job title. It's really gardener in the vineyard. God takes man and he placed him in the garden to do two things. Everybody say two things. Those two things are tend and keep. Now, tend, I know this really well because I teach on it a lot. This is fun. Enjoy this. The word tend actually in the King James is the word dress. And it actually means in the Hebrew to work. It means here's your job. God started right off giving us a job. And the job was to take care of what he created. And he's still the master gardener. We're just working the garden to tend, to dress it, and to work it, to till the ground, and to take care of what he's created, and to keep it. And the word keep means to preserve, protect, and fight for. And I'm not talking about isolated little kingdoms under itself. I'm talking about God's creation all over the world. So your first job description hasn't changed. Because when we look at the Great Commission, there are five things in the Great Commission. There are five things in the Garden Commission. Jesus restored the, great, the, the Garden Commission. Let's look at the Garden Commission in Genesis 1.28. In Genesis 1.28, you should all know this, have it emblazoned on your heart. Know this scripture. Please know this scripture. Because this was the commission, the garden commission that God gave to all mankind. And it's first to become, be fruitful. 
So I, we're fruit inspectors and you come here and we're very patient. I don't promote fast because I don't want a novice to get into a leadership position because Paul told Timothy, when a novice gets into a, a leadership position, they fall into the same temptation as the devil. And the word novice in the Greek is a sapling plant just coming out of the ground yet to bear fruit. So take your time, sprout out, grow up, bear some fruit so that you can reproduce and be patient. This is about God's process in your life and making you to be fruitful trees. Yeah! yeah. Woo, does this feel good? Now, at some point, you gotta get to bearing fruit so that you can reproduce, okay? So he says, first be fruitful, then multiply, then replenish, then subdue, then have dominion. Five things, everybody say five things. Now, I teach on this a lot. I love this passage of scripture and what it means and how important it is. But I wanted to remind you that God gave a job description and a job commission to everybody in the garden. Now, what happened? Let's sum some things up for you. In the midst of God's pleasure and delight, there was a deceiver. God wants us to find our pleasure and delight in him, not in sex, drugs, alcohol, pornography. And I've had all those things, guys. It all leaves you empty in the end. If you're struggling with it today, I love you, I'm for you. Come on, we're gonna help you in process to come out of it. But you gotta get fascinated and reawakened because God had something better. And what will kill you is man-made religious law instead of supernatural wondrous life of delight and pleasure. The answer to overcome pornography, and there's a lot of them, but the best answer is to first become fascinated with the Lord and let his life come into you and find yourself suddenly excited about him and wanting to know him, and that takes some time. And we can help you with that. So in the midst of the garden of pleasure and delight, where God put man to tend and keep and to do these five things, there would be a deceiver, his name's Satan. And Satan would deceive Eve and Adam to do what? To eat from the wrong tree. And the wrong tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I wanna tell you today that you can have a relationship with the good and still die. And most people, most Christians, and sadly, not all, but most churches are still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will kill you. If you're living your life to just try to be a good Christian, you're missing what God has for you and you'll die. God doesn't want you to be good, he wants you to be spiritual. And when you become spiritual, you actually do good. And so when Eve and Adam were deceived by the serpent in the garden to eat the wrong tree of the knowledge of good and evil, suddenly an infectious disease infected mankind. And that infectious disease passed down through all humanity. And suddenly darkness and murder and death and destruction and men fighting men and all the things that we see in perversion with children all around the world all stemmed from the garden. And it stemmed from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to this day, sadly, many Christians are eating from that tree. And it's so subtle, you don't even realize it. It's so subtle. In the name of religion, in the name of what's right, not righteous, in the name of all the things that we think are good, we're still dying. And when man was infected with the disease from Satan of sin and it got into mankind, here's what happened. Let me tell you what happened. Now man became the one trying to bring justice on earth because now I've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and I'm good. And so suddenly because I'm good, everything else that's bad, I'm the justice bearer. 
And so man, in man's attempt to bring justice, actually became unjust. And all throughout the Bible and all around us today, there's injustice. Let's not pretend or kid ourselves, everybody. In our own city hall, there's injustice. I'm not saying everyone's unjust, but what I'm telling you is there's darkness and injustice everywhere, and man is attempting to bring justice in his own strength without being born again in the Holy Spirit. And if you're not born again and don't have the Holy Spirit, then what's happening is you're trying through your best efforts of being good to bring justice. So now what I think's good, which really came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm trying to bring justice to your life, I'm actually gonna kill you. That's what religion does. Woo, man. Now I've just answered your issues about religion. And man, it's so subtle and so deceptive because it's in the name of what's good, not in the name of what's righteous by the Holy Spirit. Because there were two trees in the garden. Everybody say that. There were two trees in the garden. Now today, God wants us to consume from the tree of life and become spiritual. And in turn, when we become spiritual, the ultimate one who brings justice now resides in us. So now I can lead with justice because I've become just. Justice comes from becoming just first. Justice isn't all about the external of punishment and doing, get people getting what they deserve. Justice first comes from a person becoming just. And so now if we'll eat from the tree of life, we can become spiritual and we can do all that God's called us to do and there's a restoration. And the way that God would fix broken, sick humanity would be a couple ways. One, in the garden, he would promise a son. It would be the seed of a woman. I'm not gonna go through all this today, but I, and I know this is a lot of stuff for you, but just soak it in. You can listen to the message again on podcasts or take some notes. This is... It may seem complicated at first, but I promise you just listen and soak it in. Over time, you're gonna get it. Because this is the, the core root of the gospel. The core root of the gospel is that man became infected. They became unjust. Perversion and darkness filled the earth. So God said, one day I'm gonna send the seed of a woman and he will be enmity with God and man against the devil. And his name is Jesus all the way in the garden, Right? So all throughout the Old Testament, there'd be prophetic promises of Jesus coming, all kinds of prophetic promises. But God would do something supernatural before Jesus comes, and he would pick a man. Everybody say, he picked a man. And in order for you to understand the power of God's love and justice and redemption on earth, you really need to understand covenant. Because God would find a man that was considered righteous, a friend, who had faith and was obedient all together to pass it down to his family line and to bless and not curse. And when God finds a man like that, he makes a decision to reveal himself in a mighty way so that you're not kept in the dark, kept in the secret. He reveals his love, his light, and his plans to you. All of you can hear what God has for you instead of living in uncertainty. And so God would pick a man. And this man's name actually means father of the nations, and that's Abraham. So God finds this guy, Abraham, and he's so faithful, he's so trusting, he's so loving, he becomes a friend of God, he's accounted to him as righteousness for several things, and he makes a promise, and he says, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He picks a small, little, weak, insignificant nation called Israel, he picked through Abraham, a Hebrew man that was faithful, and he said, through you, I'm striking covenant. 
And when I make covenant, I mean to keep it and I'm never gonna break it, okay? So man was a covenant breaker in the beginning and he would prophesy through Abraham that all the nations of the world would know would know God and be blessed from Abraham's seed. Now today that blessing comes through Jesus. If any of you get born again, or you are born again, then you are heirs of the seed of this promise. So God made a promise, nations of the world. We're talking about the nations today. In order to take the nations, you gotta understand the why. And the why is this, God struck covenant, God made a commitment, the nations of the world need to know him, and the way that's gonna happen is through his family line, will be redeemed, will be grafted into the covenant promise through Jesus Christ, and now you become an heir according to the promise. This is all in the Bible. Now, again, I know I'm giving you a lot. Just soak it in, maybe over your head on a Sunday morning, but I'd rather give you, a meat, give you some good meat every now and then than just a bottle of milk, all right? Just take, this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna go somewhere with this, and I'm gonna help you understand it. And so now, we need to bring justice to the injustice. God promised Jesus, he made a covenant to Abraham, and now he says, tag, you're it. The way that I'm gonna drive back pedophiles, the way that I'm gonna drive back children, child pornography, the way that I'm gonna break the injustice and the neck of the devil sitting right out this door today is I'm gonna raise up an army of people through my son with a covenant promise and power to do something about it. Because I'm not here, listen, I'm not here to play church anymore. I'm not, I don't need to manage shopping centers and hundreds of people. I got children and coffee shops. I got a lot of other things I could be doing, but I have a call and a promise and so do you. And it's time to rise up and do something with it. So I wanna give you two words right now. Righteousness and justice, let's say it. Righteousness and justice. Two words, one idea. It's two words, but one idea. They go hand in hand. First, you become righteous, and then out of the who you are comes the ability to bring justice. It's not about causes and Facebook posts. It's about becoming something so that I affect and infect the world around me with life-giving force. Ministry is transference of life. Real ministry is transference of life, not good preaching. I mean, I hope I preach good and inspire you. I want to, I I work so hard for these times. They're important to me. I cry out to the Lord to give me the ability to impact your life because you're taking time to come here and be with me and I don't wanna waste our time. But what I want more than anything is that where life transfers, that what's coming out of me and out of you is transforming people's lives. And the only way that's gonna happen is when you first become. And so God in his love and his kindness would commit something to Abraham. And here's a powerful story that's very relevant to this day of how God dealt with Abraham and what he chose to do with Abraham and Abraham's response. And it comes from Genesis chapter 18. Now, Genesis 18 is awesome. I would encourage you guys to read it on your own time. Let me sum up for you what's happening. The most wicked cities of all time ever in the Bible and probably ever since that time is Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom is so wicked, it's as bad as back. I mean, the things happening in Sodom were horrible. I don't even need to name what they were doing. The point is, it was the wickedest city on earth. And so the Father God shows up with two angels to Abraham. And he's making the decision that I'm gonna go wipe these cities out. And I'm actually gonna go see for myself, I'm paraphrasing Genesis 18. 
The Lord says, I'm gonna go see for myself. Let's go down there. Now, the Lord's omnipresent and omni, omnipotent. He's omniscient, meaning he already knows and sees all things. But just to show you about the great interaction of the Lord in all of your life, the Lord's like, well, I'm actually just gonna come down there and I'm gonna check it out for myself. And he shows up to Abraham and he's on, he, he has a conversation with Abraham and then the angels and, and the Lord are on their way to check out Sodom. And it's almost as if, this is how I read it, the Lord stopped and said to himself, how can I not tell Abraham? Look at verse 17, Genesis 18, 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm, gonna, what I'm about to do? Look at the next verse. Since Abraham, since I've already struck covenant that Abraham will become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him, how can I hide what I'm about to do? And he gives us a little insight into why he decided not to hide it from Abraham. And we see it in verse 19. And the most important thing is to know the Lord. The most important thing is not about what you're gonna do, it's about who you're gonna become. You gotta hear me today. Your sons and daughters, God wants to speak to you and walk with you and be intimate with you and reveal to you his love and his kindness and his plans. He has no intention to keep you in the dark. And there's not one scripture in the Bible that says, and you shall have blind faith. Let's just get past this little blind faith thing. There's no such thing as blind faith. You may not always know where you're going, but when you got the word of the Lord, you have confidence. Yeah. You don't walk blind, you walk with eyes to see. Yeah. And so God says, I'm not gonna keep it from him. I've made a promise to him and I've known him. In order that he may command his children, here's the key, children and household after him. It's your first mission field. Children and household, if your children are raised or you have been barren, haven't been able to have a child, guess what? I got about 80 to 90 kids here. I have my kids here. And if you become a part of this family, God's family first and Rock City family, you get to help raise my kids. Because my kids are gonna be standing right around here watching you in worship. They're gonna watch you dance one day. They're gonna watch you play. They're gonna watch you preach. My kids are gonna grow up with your kids and we're gonna do life together. We're gonna have a family because the father is looking for a family, not just another religious Western Christianized church. He wants a family. Yeah. Woo. So he says, he's gonna keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. Let's say it again, righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring Abraham to what he has spoken to him. Righteousness and justice are critical. Now, it's been a long time since I've given you a really good definition of righteousness, I'm sorry, of justice, and I'm gonna give that to you here in just a moment. Look at Proverbs 29, 26. Proverbs 29, 26 says, many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. In your best attempt to do right or to be good or bring justice, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's near impossible and you'll be doing it in the name of religion, in the name of God, and the name of what's just, and you'll be far from the Lord. Because God wants you spirit-filled. You gotta have the Holy Spirit in your life. And if all you have is the written word and you know the Bible front and back, but you don't have the act of spoken word through the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll become a religious Christian Pharisee. We don't need any more religious Christian Pharisees in this world. We need spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fire-breathing, demon-busting Christians. That's... You should have shouted at that. 
Let me say that again. We need tongue-talking, fire-breathing, demon-busting, radical warrior Christians. Yeah! You guys wouldn't be here. I know some of you are visiting, but you wouldn't come back to this church if you didn't believe there was more and there was an answer and you were ready for some fire because I'm tired of boring, dead church and inactive believers. And let me tell you something. Your religious piety without action means nothing to the Lord. Let me say that again. Religious piety without action means nothing to the Lord. Let me help you understand that scripture. In Isaiah chapter one, I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. Here's what the Lord says. Now, he didn't say it this way, but I'm gonna make it relevant. All you're going to church and lifting your hands and singing your songs, I'm wore out. All your religious duty that you're doing means nothing to me without action. I'm tired of them. They're actually a disdain for me, and I'm actually not listening to you. Here's why. Look at this verse in Isaiah 1:16. He says, first, wash yourself. Isaiah 1, 16, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. Wash yourself. Look at the pattern. First, you gotta get clean by the blood. Then you put away evil from your doing, and that comes from being, having the Holy Spirit in your life helping you in process. I wish I could snap my finger, and all of you tomorrow were suddenly sinless. Whoa, could you imagine? Non-reality. Now, God sees you as perfect, and you got to get into the process of sanctification, which means in process, God separates you from your old life. So if you're struggling in any way today, but you're here and you want more, you're in process, and God will help you, and so will I. See how that works? It's process, patience, but also pointing you to the standard that God has for you. And he says, look, all before he says, man, your religious piety is not moving me. What I want, and now, I want to make this clear. It's very important. Some of you are here for the first time and haven't been coming here very long. I want to make something clear to you. You can walk in here without having worshiped in your personal life, read your Bible, and feeling far from the Lord, and suddenly the presence of God comes and you're in worship and you lift your hands and have an encounter with the Lord, and I want that because I'll take that over nothing. And everybody has to start somewhere. And let's say, for example, that you come here for six months or a year, and every week you're a total train wreck, but when you come in on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, you're like worshiping. The devil will lie and say, you're a hypocrite. How could you? Because that's the number one thing he tries to do. And if he's keeping you from doing it here, he's certainly keeping you from doing it there. And he's a liar, and I want to break that. Let me tell you something. You are always welcome here and welcome to be free and raise your hands and it's gotta start somewhere. And so the premise of this scripture is that there were a bunch of facade fakers that were going through the motions but not knowing the Lord. They were hypocrites. They were bringing injustice to God's people but lifting their hands all the time. And at some point, our religious piety has to turn into action. You can't keep coming here week in and week out for years and not having action in your life you'll die. Religious piety without action brings death. So he says, look, here's what I want you to do. Of course, I want you to lift your hands. Of course, I want you to love me, but I don't want you to go through religious motions. Be authentic. Let's all say that together. Be authentic. That should be so freeing for some of you because I've been to church so many times where I felt like I had to measure up, perform, put my Sunday best on. Just be authentic. I'm glad you're here. So is the Lord. 
Your life may be a total train wreck mess full of destruction and sin and darkness everywhere around you, but God in his love and his life and his care for you is coming after you. And if you'll keep coming here, I guarantee you the light and the fire will override that darkness at some point. The darkness is already lost. The devil's already defeated. That's why I say sorcerers, witches, I want them to come here. Because if they get to hear me and they get to experience this, something will rock them. Now, if they're coming to destroy, if they're coming to be cancerous, if they're coming on a mission and they're speaking curses in the back, I got a family here that will easily override that because there's no yin-yang theology in the kingdom. Make sure we all remember this one statement. There is no yin-yang theology in the kingdom. You say, what's a yin-yang? It's the little circle with the dark and the light and the two dots. And it says, the yin-yang theology says that, or new age theology says that darkness and light are equal and balance each other out. There is no balance, guys. The light wins. The devil is defeated. So wash yourself, make yourself clean. How? The blood. We have Jesus now, okay? Put away the evil from your doing from before my eyes. The premise is become just now. Become just now. Cease to do evil. Look at verse 17. Seek, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead the widow. How could it be any more clear? First you become, and then you have a mandate. The Bible's full of mandates. If any of us are sitting around saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do, I'm giving you some answers today. God wants everybody to do what I'm pointing at on this screen. We must learn to do good and seek justice. Now let's talk about justice. If anybody here is in law enforcement or you're like a real like law person, you really like justice, justice is your thing, justice is your message, let me tell you, if you're into the social justice movement, okay, the only way that you're gonna bring justice to this world is by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants less talking and more power because you're not gonna reach millennials with a lot of good intellectual touches. You're gonna reach this generation with fire, power encounters, the Holy Ghost, prophecy, casting out demons and showing them how to do it in an awesome, fiery, fun, passionate way. When we can finally demonstrate that the kingdom's way more powerful than Hollywood, we can really win this generation. Lip service isn't gonna cut it. And at some point, we gotta get out of lip service churches and step into the power and the fire, and they're hard to find, but we're not the only one. And if you can't find one, and if you're listening to this on audio today, trust me, if you'll become it, God will make it in your life. It'll happen. First, you gotta become it, okay? So he says, take your religious piety and do something with it. Still worship, still love, but now let's get to action. There are people that are serving in soup kitchens. There are people on the streets. There are people doing all these things in the name of good, and they don't know Jesus, and they're still dying. I'm just telling you, you gotta have first the power of the Holy Spirit, know him, be in relationship with him, and then do something with it. First you become, first God does it in you, and then he does it through you. But some of you gotta have the in you experiences today. Now let me tell you about justice. You're gonna like this. Listen closely to this, these definitions of justice because I'm gonna sum it up with a statement that I wrote this morning. Justice, the first definition of justice, if you look it up in the dictionary, is the quality of being just. The premise is, is justice first comes from being justice and being a just person. 
It's the quality of righteousness. I'm gonna teach you a new word today. And that word is to be equitable. It's to have equitableness in your life. Who knows what it means to be equitable? Raise your hand. About 15 people. Last service, it was two. To be equitable means to be just, to do right, and to be fair to everybody. And if you have this mentality in your life that, well, the world's not fair, then you're missing the power of the kingdom because God is fair. The kingdom of God is fair. God is no respecter of persons and he loves everybody. And it does not mean that when somebody's unjust and and breaking the law that they don't have consequences. Because that's another definition of justice that I'll show you today. But first, to be just is to be equitable to all citizens. I must be fair and judge rightly and bring justice in an upright way to everybody. Everybody, because the kingdom of God is fair. Make sure you know that. The world may not be fair, but when you get born again, guess what? The kingdom is fair, because God is fair, and he treats us right. Another definition of equitable is to be reasonable. Say reasonable. Reasonable. That's why God says to to Moses, come and let us reason together. Or to Isaiah, come and let us reason together. Though your sins are, though you're so jacked up. Here's how we're going to reason. You are a terrible mess. This is God's way of reasoning. You are so bad that I'm not gonna grant you according to what you deserve. I'm gonna actually wash your sins. Though they may be as scarlet, I'm gonna make them white as snow. That's God's equitableness. You say, well, the kingdom's not fair. Well, let me tell you, if you really understood how much God loves you and what he's done, man, and I'm gonna show you a couple fun scriptures today. Here's another great definition of justice. Are you guys doing all right? If I get intense, it's because I'm talking about justice. It's kind of a hard thing, but just just roll with me today. This is a good message for you. You're gonna walk out inspired to do something different and to live different when you walk out of this place today. So here's another great definition of justice. It's to be lawful and to get the claim or title of being lawful, like a peace officer, a patrol officer, and I know there's a lot of unjust officers, but there's more just ones than not. But the point is, is without the Holy Spirit actively working in somebody's life, remember what I've taught you, <clears throat> that person can try to bring justice in a dysfunctional way. And so it's to become and to be lawful and to take the title. I'm a son and I'm a daughter and I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. And now I am lawful. And because I'm lawful, I can bring lawfulness to you. Okay, another definition of justice is the moral principle determining just conduct. And it's based on sound reason, okay? It's the moral principle determining just conduct. So the the morality in my life through Christ determines the justice that I bring to other people's lives. I know God's word, I know him, I'm led by him. And now because of that, I want nothing more than to bring justice which overflows out of my heart into somebody else's life. And then it's conforming to that principle as manifested in my conduct. So I'm now conforming to what's been put inside of me, to God's word and to his life. It's just conduct in how you deal and treat others. Here's another definition, because I get asked this a lot. It's the administering administering of deserved punishment or reward. It's the administering of deserved punishment or reward. The Bible says, he who does wrong will receive for the wrong that they've done. 
And it doesn't mean that we don't lock up pedophiles and throw people in prison. Prison was one of the best things that ever could have happened in my life. Thank God I got put in prison because prison was like a one-year Bible school for me because instead of being angry and apathetic and mad at the world, I said, hey, I might as well soak up the time because I got a lot of it. And so I got into the word and I grew spiritually, okay? Now, not all of us get to go to prison for a year. Thank God for that. Just rejoice for that right now, okay? But you know, you can be out of the prison walls and be locked up. Let me just make sure you understand that. You can be free and be locked up. So there is an administering of deserved punishment reward and there is the maintenance or administration of what is just by law as by judicial or other proceedings. There is a judgment of persons or causes by judicial process. And I wrote this down. Let's say this together. Say to be, to, be, to, do, to do, and to bring, and to bring. Justice. justice. So to do justice is to become justice. I wanna make that point for you. And God showed mercy to us when you deserve death and judgment. You have to see how much mercy the Lord has had for your life. In James chapter two, verse 12, we get a phenomenal key. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of sin and death. No. The law of sin and death is eating from the wrong tree. The law of liberty is the tree of, the, of life. So how should I live my life? I should live it according to the law of liberty. And now I speak and I do according to the law of liberty. And that law of liberty is a life-giving force. It's patient, it's kind. It doesn't mean it's not firm. And you say, well, Bible says that we're not, we judge not unless you be judged. That's not saying you shouldn't judge. The point is, is let's get the specks out of our eyes. Let's judge by the Holy Spirit because the Bible also says uh, the spiritual judges all things spiritual. So now I'm judging from a spiritual standpoint. I have to be able to call out right and wrong in people's lives. I mean, it's like somebody comes up, man, I'm, I got, I'm married, but I got five wives on the side and I really think polygamy's okay. Oh man, I can't judge you, brother. Sleep away and have more kids. Dysfunction.com. I mean, seriously, all right? The problem is the issue with judging, let me answer a question for some of you. The issue with judging is when you're not spiritual because unspiritual judges are leading from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Spiritual judges have spiritual eyesight by the Holy Spirit and are now made just, and now I can lead the way the Father calls me to leave. I raise my children the way the Father calls me to raise my children. So, speak and do. Everybody say, speak and do. As those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Why? Verse 13 is awesome. Man, this verse is awesome. Verse 13. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. You need eyes of mercy because if you learn to show mercy to others as the way the Lord shows mercy to you, you will get promoted and you will lead thousands of people into the kingdom of God and suddenly you'll be doing what I'm doing or you'll be like our 40 missionaries going all over the world. Suddenly when you're working at the courthouse, if any of you work at the courthouse or you're police officers or you're a firefighter, suddenly in every walk of life at the doctor's office, at the school, at the CCISD building, wherever you go, whatever you do, suddenly you're a life-giving force now and you're walking in mercy, and yes, there's judgment in the context of what's spiritual and not spiritual, but mercy always triumphs over judgment. Always triumphs over judgment. 
Psalm 103 says, look, when you deserve to be death because, dead because you're so jacked up, God in his love and his kindness says, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, Psalm 103, verse 10. Nor did he punish you according to your iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. We gotta get the fear of the Lord back into our lives. And the fear of the Lord is reverent awe that says, man, I, Lord, I know that I have been messing up, not doing it right, but I want to and I need your help. Have mercy upon me. Have mercy according to the multitude of your tender mercies. David said in Psalm 51, verse one. We gotta have the mercy of the Lord ruling and reigning in our lives if we're ever gonna bring justice the way that God's called us to bring justice. Now, I hate so much of the things that I see around this world. And I'm, I'm aggressive in the context of, I wanna put an end to the darkness and the sin, but I don't hate the sinner. Everybody needs Jesus. And if you're living in this Old Testament mindset of wipe out the enemies, hurry up and come back, rapture now, we might as well press the button nuclear war because it's all gonna end anyway. And that's not what God wants us to do or how he wants us to live. This is an awesome world to live in. I take my kids fishing at sunset. I would miss my kids kissing them in the mornings and the nights and rubbing their backs and playing and the joy of life and the beauty of being a son and setting captives free because you have the power of God in you to cast out demons and break the neck of addiction in people's lives. Why would you wanna press the button now? This is so much fun. And the problem is, the challenge is, is some of us are stuck on the news feeds of earth. You're listening to Fox News and CNN all day long. And I'm not telling you not to get a little bit of news in your life. But we need to have less Facebook and less Instagram and less CNN and Fox News. And we need to get more news from heaven. Because when you get news from heaven, God says, to, like Abraham, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. And you know what Abraham said in Genesis 18? If you go back to Genesis 18, when God was ready to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, wait a minute, Lord. You're a just God. You're the judge of all the earth. Would you really wipe out a, a, a city if there's 50 good people there? And God says, if there's 50, I won't wipe it out. And says, well, um, Lord, I know that. I don't wanna be disrespectful, but it, what if there's 45? And the Lord says, I won't wipe them out. He says, now, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk back. I'm paraphrasing. I don't mean to talk back, but what if there's 30? Because Abraham's thinking to himself, oh gosh, I really got myself into something now. There may not be one righteous person there. And then he goes to 10, and then he goes to one. And God says, if there's one righteous, I'll spare the city. And let me tell you something, in Iraq, Syria, Pakistan, and all over the world, there's a righteous man. There are Christians in those nations. And God has a plan and intent. And I'm not saying we don't defend our country. And if you're in the military, I got your back and will pray for you because you made a commitment to defend and fight for our freedom because freedom is not free. And I already know that. I'm just fighting in a different way. Okay? And I'm telling you that God and his love and his kindness is gonna redeem the nations of the world, not just wipe them all out. Now, first, he'll give them every opportunity. And first, those nations will come. You read Revelation. Every nation, tribe, and tongue will come to him and then the end will come. That's what I believe. I just happen to believe that. Otherwise, why in the world would I send, spend $40,000 to send 20 missionaries to Mexico and 20 to Brazil? It's a waste of time. In fact, why are we even having a church today? In fact, why in the world am I even working, preaching so hard? You get it? Are you guys following me this morning? Now I'm almost done and I only have a couple more scriptures to preach. Let's dial in for these last few seconds. Slap yourself left and right. I know I've given you a lot of information. 
stretch out, I don't care, take a walk, whatever you gotta do. I'm only gonna give you about five more minutes and if you'll soak it in, I'm gonna conclude this with a powerful, powerful revelation, okay? So the Lord would promise Jesus the great redeemer. In the Old Testament, the Lord would say this to himself. Justice is impossible with man alone. And they just keep messing it up over and over again. So he says to himself in Isaiah, my arm's not too short. I don't have a little bitty arm. He says, in fact, my arm is so long that I will bring salvation for myself. And how would he do it? In Isaiah 7, 7, 14, we get this awesome scripture that says, for unto us a child is born and he shall be called Emmanuel. We can't just say Emmanuel on December 25th every year. Emmanuel means that here's my answer. We forget about that word, that name. Emmanuel says this, here's my answer. My answer to solving the crime in Corpus Christi and injustice all over the world, my answer is this. I will take broken hurting, messed up people, and I'm gonna go down and be with them. My name will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. And what I want you to know is no matter what your upbringing, your background is, if you were raped, abused, if you've had abortions, whatever it is, God loves you, I care about you, there's no shame. You can become something supernatural and bring a story and a testimony to where the enemy tried to knock you out. And that's what we do here because it's God with us. And when God's with us, I don't wanna go to a non-God with us church, do you? I wanna go where Emmanuel rules and reigns. And I want Emmanuel to rule and reign in me, God with me. If God's not with me, I'm wasting my time. I can't do this and neither can you without him. We need Emmanuel back in our lives. And so Jesus would sum up his ministry. And he'd say something like this. You know, I like to paraphrase. Jesus would say, listen, everybody, you wanna know really why the spirit of the Lord's here? You wanna know why the spirit of the Lord's really, really on me? You wanna know why he promoted me? See, to be anointed means I got promoted to a position and anointed to do a task. I'm now fully equipped to accomplish it. Jesus would say, you wanna know why I'm anointed and why the Spirit of the Lord's upon me? I wanna just make it so simple for you. Luke 4, 18. He says, this is why I do what I do. Now notice the pattern. Poor, brokenhearted, captive, blind, and oppressed. Are there anybody around us or in our city or any family members that you know that are poor, brokenhearted, captive, blind, and oppressed. Some of you today may be being oppressed by the devil. And I'm here to kick the, break the devil's neck because we have a power. It's not haughtiness, but we have the power to do it. It's not pride. It's the fact that I love you. I'm not a demon hunter. I'm a life giver. And when you're a life giver, the devil will just reveal himself. All of us know when the enemy's manifesting in our life. Here's how it goes. Nightmares, sleeplessness, stress, fear, drugs, alcohol, addictions, num-num hotel, unsatisfied, miserable, and I probably summed up some of us today. I've been doing this for a while, guys. I love you. We're in the fight together. We gotta fight this together. And God sent Jesus, and now he anoints us to do the same thing. To do what? Preach the gospel, which is good news, heal, proclaim liberty, recover sight, and bring liberty to those who are oppressed. Come on, man, we got, we got a job to do. And so Jesus, right before he leaves the earth, has a conversation 
with his disciples. And he says something so profound. In Matthew 28, 18, he says, the, you gotta get this first part. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you the contrast. Jesus says, now, I died on the cross, I resurrected, I ascended to heaven and shed my blood, the price is paid. And because of that, all authority has been given to me, where? There and where else? Everybody say on earth. Who has all authority? Who has all authority? Who has all authority? And where does he have it? So if you get born again and the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and the devil's already defeated, who's got all authority now? So here's what he says. Woo, man, that just felt good. That just felt so good right there. I love preaching the gospel, which is good news. God's got good news for everybody here, no matter where you're at. You know, when you get born again, you get all the faith you ever need. It's the process of learning how much faith God's, because when you get born again, you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you, not a seven-pound little baby Jesus. Jesus is all grown up now. So verse 19, everybody say five things. You know where else there was five things? The Garden Commission. Let's say this together. From the Garden Commission to the Great Commission. It's still alive and active for all of us today. There were five things in the garden. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. And now he says, go, make, teach, or baptize, teach, and observe. Five things. So now we have a great commission from the Lord, and the great commission applies to everybody. If you don't walk out of here inspired to believe that God has a purpose for you, I don't know how to do it any better than today. Everybody has a mission and a task that has to be accomplished. We just gotta get you healthy, get you to become into sonship and identity, be fascinated with the Lord, to dream again, signs, wonders, miracles, visions, supernatural acts of the Lord, to know the ways of the Lord, get you excited, get you full of wonder, because if you lose your wonder, you lose your hunger. Wonder comes before hunger. Faith comes before obedience. There's churches teaching obedience like no end, obey, 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 obey. How can you obey without faith? You're putting the cart before the horse. Let's get some faith action going on again. Yeah. I'm gonna leave you with this. Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from, the law, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people to be zealous for good works. Let's say zealous for good works. The word zealous means to be radically on fire, to be lit up and to be boiling hot. Zealous doesn't mean lukewarm or cold. Everybody say, make me zealous for good works. God wants you to be fired up for good works. And so he'd send his Holy Spirit. Last week I preached a message called the Pentecost Promise. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it because I thought it was really good. The Pentecost Promise was about Pentecost, the fire of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It goes from Joel 2 to Acts 2 and it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, verse four, let me, let me tell you what's happening here. Acts 1, 4 is actually happening in Luke 24. Luke wrote Acts and the Acts was a continuation of Luke. And so at the end of Luke 24, he says, wait for me until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. But in, Luke, in Acts one, we pick up on the conversation. Let's look at it. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. Verse five, for John baptized you in water, two baptisms. There are two baptisms. Everybody needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just wanna tell you that. Okay, if you've seen it dysfunctional or weird or don't know about it, just get in the process to learn it. 
We're not going to cram it down your throat. I'm just telling you, you need an empowerment. If you're on a spiritual plateau where you feel like you can't go up, can't go down, and you're dying and you're dried up, you need some fire in your life. That doesn't come from better preaching or better music cranked up loud in your car. It comes from the Holy Spirit coming into your life and lighting you up on fire. Now look at verse six. Now what I wanna put this into context for you. Jesus says, go wait, because the Holy Spirit's coming. The disciples say, finally, justice is coming. The disciples say, finally, we get to establish our kingdom. Now's the time. Justice is gonna be done. It's all put to an end. Finally, Lord, are you gonna restore our kingdom? All they're thinking about is themselves and the timing of establishing of the kingdom on earth and being done. And here's how the Lord says the kingdom's gonna be established. Here's God's answer to this question. Here's God's answer to the disciples' selfishness of thinking about, is this the time for us to get what we finally are believing for? You've been the Messiah, we've known it. You're coming back on that white horse now. Jesus said, no. He says, verse seven, it's not for you to know the times and seasons the Father's put in his own authority. Here's what I really want you to know. Here's what you really need to know. If you're believing for something to be established in your life, God's got a purpose and plan. Here's what I want you to know, verse eight. You will receive power. The answer isn't, finally I get justice. The answer is, I'm gonna make you to be justice by the Holy Spirit to go to all the nations of the world and do what? Be witnesses to me where? Jerusalem's where they lived. You know the first mission field that we give to and serve and work? Corpus Christi, Texas. And I'm not against going to India and all the nations of the world, Brazil. Of course, I'm not against that. But we say, God, send me to the nations and we can't even till our own back, backyard. We say we wanna go take Baghdad and we can't even take our own city. David even had the process. Lion, bear, Goliath, Hebron, Jerusalem. See the patterns, guys. So why do we give at Rock City Church? Because we're on a mission to transform the city. And you get fed here, you grow here, we work together. We're not just giving to pay a light bill, we're giving to transform culture and community. We're given to fulfill the Great Commission. And then where does it go to? It goes to the nation. You better believe I want, I, I am born and raised in America, Miami, Florida, Cedars of Lebanon Hospital. I love my nation and fly the flag proud. But God's not American, African, Asian, Chinese. God's every nation, tribe, and tongue. But God wants the nations. And if he wants the nations, then he needs people on fire in the nation that care about their nation. You better believe I wanna see justice brought to America. And I don't wanna fight over Republican and Democrat and this and that. You know what I wanna do? I wanna get you so spirit-filled and so on fire for Jesus that you come to the self-revelization and real, revelization. That's, I coined that word. That, that word, revelization is a cross between realization and revelation. Just mark that, that's my word. Oh gosh, I'm, I need to probably stop. I'm getting silly now. I'm getting silly now. Let me show you this. I, I taught this to you before last week. The promise has a purpose. Let's say that together in conclusion. The promise, promise. Has, a has a purpose. And that purpose is for every nation, tribe, and tongue, Revelations 14, 6. Let me tell you what's happening right now. If you're a seer, you're gonna like this. Flying all over the earth and the heavens is an angel yeah. right now. He's flying over because the Bible says angels are all around us. 
and their ministering servants, ministering flames of fire to aid us, help us, and equip us with God's tools and promises. There's angels surrounding this room right now. Now there's this awesome angel flying around in the heavens and he has the everlasting gospel, which is good news, to preach to who? To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. We have an obligation to not just take care of Corpus Christi, to not just become something in our family and our home. That's why I teach you Christian life is not about suburbia living with our white picket fence and our labradoodles. Now, I don't have a white picket fence, but I have a labradoodle. I'm not against that. My point I'm trying to tell you is life is so much more. We all have a commission to fulfill. And when your gift is oppressed, you'll be depressed. If you're not getting out what God has put in you, you'll become depressed. It's for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. And that's why all of us are called, but few will answer the call. You gotta answer the call to your city, your nation, and the nations of the world. You cannot be silent against injustice. You can't be silent. If the church would have risen up during Roe versus Wade in 1973, if the church would have made its voice heard, it didn't, but we can now. And we can fight for life and protect life, and we can bring justice to injustice. If there's 125,000 searches for child pornography a day, then I'm out to get 125,000 people born again. Everybody's called. God puts his spirit in you and anoints you for his purpose. And we should all be answering the call and get activated to do it. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.